The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning via this video. Uh, If you're with us online, we're so glad that you've tuned in and are part of our worship this morning. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 3, talking about the kind of transformation that God brings to our lives that is critical for everything God wants us to do in this world. So we're going to look together at Genesis chapter 3. But I want to begin by talking about movies. I love watching movies. And whenever a movie is, is really good, I think it's good because there's something in the story that uh, resonates, something about the story that makes us feel like this is somehow true or, or right. It just resonates with us. And it actually doesn't matter what kind of genre the movie is. The movie may be some kind of fantastical movie like Star Wars, or it may be a movie that's way in, in the past, but it, it resonates with us. There's something true about the story. I, I like the Marvel movies, actually, the, the superhero movies. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, which were the, the heyday for comic books, and Spider-Man and Superman were my two favorites. There was something with those stories that resonated with me, something about the, the mild-mannered Clark Kent that you would never expect could really do much of anything, and yet he was transformed into Superman. There was something about that transformation that resonated, or the, the scrawny little student, Peter Parker, who, who couldn't even talk to girls and was, was never a leader in any, in any group, and yet he was transformed into Spider-Man, who was able on several occasions to save the entire city. There's something about that story of transformation that, that moves us and that we, we resonate with. One of my recent favorites is the Avengers, the four Avengers movies, and And I guess part of that is because I I love this idea of a team coming together. Here you have a team of mostly normal people coming together to save the world. And in that coming together, they are transformed into these superheroes that literally save the world. So you have a situation in the story where the stakes are high and everything is dependent on a relatively small group of pretty much normal people who, who go through this transformation to superheroes. I want you to think about that story. I want you to think about how that resonates with you. I want you to think about some kind of kernel of truth that is inside that idea as we approach the scripture today. Because our vision then as a church is to be a church full of superheroes. Now, now hear me out on this. I, I don't think necessarily that any of you are going to transform into a Superman. You don't have to come next week with your capes. I, I'm just saying that that we are, want to be a, a church full of people, people who are bringing salvation to the world, who are bringing healing and wholeness to our world, even as we ourselves are being transformed by Jesus. That there is this supernatural transformation that happens inside of us that is critical to the success of our goal, which is to bring healing and wholeness to our world. So, so that transformation becomes critical. So why is it critical, you might ask? Well, to, to discover the answer to that question, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 3, to the beginning, to the very, very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read the tail end of that beginning story. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the stories of the beginning, the prehistory of our, of our world. And so at the very end of that, this is what it says, Genesis chapter 3, 
verses 21 to 24. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Genesis chapter 3 explains why we are who we are today. It is the explanation of why our world looks the way it looks and why we as human beings behave the way we behave. If you go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it's the, it's the narration that, that talks about the creation of the world, the creation of the universe. And in Genesis chapter 1, uh, God begins to create. And every time he creates something, he looks at it and it says, and God, God said that it was good. He creates the, the, the living creatures and he says it was good. He creates, he creates all of the universe and he says it was good. He creates the man and the woman and it was good. He looks at all of his creation and he says, it's good. And from our vantage point, we're asking, really? It's good? What happened? If you read Genesis chapter 2, the same creation story, but this time it zooms in on the creation of the man and the woman. And it paints this beautiful, idyllic kind of, kind of relationship between the, the man and the woman. And they're in the garden, and the garden is, is watering itself, and the work is easy, and and they're in this beautiful relationship. It describes this relationship. And the, the culminating description is that at the end of chapter 2 is that the man and the woman were naked and they knew no shame. In other words, there was, there was nothing hidden between them. They, 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 were, they were perfect for each other. They, they completed each other in every way. There was this, this harmonious kind of interdependent relationship they had. No fighting, no enmity, no bitterness, no hurt feelings, no misunderstandings. They completed each other in every single way. And you look at that and say, well, what happened? Are you, are, you, are you kidding me? Because that's not the way it feels uh, today. So, so it's naturally, when you, when you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you begin to ask, what happened to that world? And what happened is Genesis chapter 3. That's what happened. Because in Genesis chapter 3, everything begins to fall apart. In Genesis chapter 3, the narrator introduces for the first time tension into the story. There's this problem that comes into the story. Where the serpent comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. And the serpent comes to Adam and Eve with a theory, really. A proposition. He says to them, my theory is that God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God knows that once you eat from that tree, that you will be just like him. You see, the very first temptation was a temptation to distrust God, a temptation to to take matters into their own hands, a temptation to believe that God had ulterior motives, to believe that God didn't want the best for them. And Adam and Eve decide to test the serpent's theory. 
And so they eat. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what they recognize or they realize very quickly is that it changes everything. They, they decide, they make the decision to, to test God, to, to believe that maybe God doesn't have their best interests in mind, to believe, to believe that maybe God, maybe God is someone they can't trust. And as soon as they do that, it changes everything. And we've been doing it ever since. We've been doing it ever since. However many years human beings have been uh, on this earth, there's been a slow and steady decay that you can track back to, to that moment that, that death came into the world, sin came into the world, and everything starts to, de- to decay. And the further away we get from the Garden of Eden, the harder it is to remember what that felt like. To have this creation that was good, truly, truly good. To, to have relationships that were, that were right and pure and honest and true. The further away we get from the Garden of Eden, the fainter our memory becomes and the harder it becomes to live that out. I, I, when I was in, in college studying engineering, I took calculus. In fact, I took three years of calculus. And, uh, and by the end of that, that time period, I knew calculus. I understood calculus. I could, I could do the problems. I could do the math. I, I knew how to do uh, calculus. Uh, but that was 35 years ago. And for the last 35 years, I've, I've not been doing calculus. And so calculus is this faint memory. If you asked me to do a calculus problem today, I, I would not be able to do it. I would have to go back and start studying again because I just, it's too, it was too long ago. It's, a, it's now a calculus, thank you, Jesus, is a faint memory in my mind. And, and it's the same way with the Garden of Eden. It's the same way with this idyllic picture that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. We know that it existed. We know that it was there. There's this faint, very faint impression of it in our hearts and our minds because we know when we're going wrong. We know when things aren't going well. We know when we've messed up. We know when our relationships are broken and fractured and difficult we know inherently that's not the way it was intended to be. You see, it's that faint memory of the Garden of Eden. But the further away we get from the Garden of Eden, the harder it is for us to remember. Why do we need this transformation that we're talking about? Why do we need it? According to Genesis chapter 3, we need it because all of our relationships at work, at, at school, in, in the world, in the home, all of our relationships are broken and fractured. All of our life is broken and fractured. And we are in desperate need of this transformation. And because the Garden of Eden, the idyllic, is so far away from us, it's such a faint memory, we don't know how to get there ourselves. So let me, let me just refresh your memory about Genesis chapter three. Uh, After Adam and Eve take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and sin comes into the world, God arrives and he pronounces the consequences to them. He tells them, because you've done this, this is what's going to happen. And I want you to notice that in the consequences, as God gives them to them, two things happen. Two things happen in each of the consequences. There's a consequence for the serpent, a consequence for for the woman, Eve, and a consequence for the man, Adam. And in each consequence for each of them, two things happen, two very important things. One is that life gets harder. 
Life gets harder after sin comes into the world. And the second is that there are broken relationships. So God comes to the serpent and says, because you have done this, you will now crawl on your belly and eat the dust of the earth. Before, the serpent apparently was walking around and could go wherever he wanted, but now he will crawl on the earth. He will crawl on his belly and eat the dust. You see, life just got harder. Life just got harder for the serpent. And he says to the serpent, and, and there will be enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and her seed, singular, will eventually crush your head. There's this broken, fractured relationship between serpent and woman. The relationship is no longer the same. There's strife and enmity in the relationship. And he comes to the woman and he says to the woman, uh, because you have done this, now in, in pain you will give birth to children. Your, your pain will increase in childbirth. Life just got harder. Life just got harder for the woman. And he says, and your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. This is the consequence of sin. It's not the way it was before. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But now, he says, because sin has come into the world, you will have this struggle in your relationship with the man. There will be this almost like this power struggle going on within that relationship. It's because of sin. Life got harder and relationships are broken. And he comes to the man and he says to the man, because you've done this, by the sweat of your brow, now you will work the ground. Before the ground watered itself, now you will have to work hard. You see, life just got harder. And by the sweat of your brow, it will produce. The earth is still yours, but that relationship between the man and the earth has been fractured. It has been broken. And now the earth sees itself in a struggle with you. And so you will struggle now to subdue the earth. And it's going to be hard. This is what happens. This is what the world looks like now. You've experienced it. And the end of that chapter, the part we read, God does three things. And these three things, I read those because these three things, I believe, are, an act of, are acts of mercy. He does three things. First, he clothes them. He makes them new clothes. Second, he banishes them from the garden. And third, he puts a flaming sword in front of the tree of life so that they can't get to it. And it is my contention that all three of these things that God does are acts of mercy and acts of grace. First, he clothes them. So he he makes them new clothes. Before, in chapter two, they were naked and knew no shame. But now that sin has come into the world, shame has come into the world. And they can't be in front of each other this way. And so he clothes them. But in clothing them, he is saying to them, I am still taking care of you. Do you see God's mercy? Do you see God's grace? They have just rebelled against God. They have just decided to distrust God's word. And yet God comes to them and says, I'm still going to take care of you. It's an act of mercy. He banishes them from the garden. He banishes them from the garden. They can no longer live in the garden. They can no longer survive in the garden. They must now learn to struggle with the real world that they have created with their sin. They have to learn how to live now in this real world. God can no longer keep them in the idyllic world of the garden. Because if they're ever going to find spiritual freedom again, they first have to learn how to live in the real world with the real sin that they've created in order that they have a chance at repentance and forgiveness and freedom. So he 
takes them out of the garden for their own sake. It's an act of grace, an act of mercy. And then finally, he, he, he blocks the way to the, to the tree of life with these, these, this, this fire, that, where they, the fiery swords where they can't get to the tree of life. Because if they were to, to take of the tree of life in that moment, they would be living forever in their present state of sinfulness. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we lived forever? Think about some of the most evil people in history. And think about those people and what, what would the world be like if those people had lived forever, if those people were still around? No, God said, no, we cannot allow them to live forever in their present state. Death must come into the world. Death, death must come to their lives in order that they, must, they will die in order that they have a chance to live. Death, death comes to us because sin has to be destroyed in us first so that we can then have a chance at eternal life. So you see, God's actions here in the garden, at the tail end of this prehistory, God's actions are actually acts of mercy and grace, and they are the start, just the start of his plan to save the world. When Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross, at the very end said, it is finished. This is what he was talking about. What God started right here in this moment when he clothed them and he banished them from the garden and he blocked the way to the tree of life, what God was starting there was his plan for redeeming his creation, for saving his creation that was finished when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. God's actions are full of grace and mercy. Here in Genesis chapter three, God is already starting to save his creation. It reminds me of a story I, I heard several years back um, of Ben Lanning and uh, a math teacher, Ben Lanning and one of his students, Damien, who was a pretty special little kid. And there's this story of, of the relationship between math teacher and his student that's, that's pretty powerful and I think mirrors what the Bible is telling us here. So I want you to watch this story. Just a quick, a brief clip explaining their story. A lot can change in two years. CBS's Steve Hartman is on the road with a story that keeps getting better. It was Aurora, Colorado, summer break 2019, when we first met middle school math teacher Finn Lanning and Damien, the student he just couldn't shake. Do you know how many pencils I went through this year? Like way more than you should have. Yeah. Damien says Mr. Lanning was definitely one of his better teachers. When like a teacher doesn't bother me over and over again, that's better. <laughs> you have a low bar. Yeah, like <laughs> leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, I'll get my work done. He's smart and funny, um, and he was always a student that stood out. And then one day he just came to me and said, I'm not coming back to school. Finn sat him down at that table right then and there. And what I found out was his story. He learned Damien was in foster care, that he had kidney disease. And because social services couldn't find a foster family willing and able to meet his medical needs, Damien had to leave school and move into a hospital. But here's the real kicker. The kid needs a transplant, desperately. 
And a lot of times you can't get a transplant if you don't have a stable home to return to after surgery. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, you just can't sit across from somebody that you care about and hear them say something like that and know that you have room to help. And that's how Finn became a foster parent. He took in Damien, dialysis needs and all, even though prior to that hallway meeting, he'd been a confirmed bachelor who delighted in his childlessness. I never thought that I could leave school and take one of them with me and still survive, right? Damien says, right back at you, bro. I was like, yes, I'd get out of the hospital. But I was like, my math teacher out of all the people. <laughs> they got along famously. Oh, yeah. Although Damien refused to get too excited. He'd seen fairy tales fall apart before. Rematch? It's kind of bad thinking about that, but some people actually do that. Like, they'll, like, just kick you out. One, they'll be happy with you one day, and they'll just kick you out the next. I suppose only time will let you trust. Yeah. It's been nearly two years since we first told this story. Damien was able to get that transplant, and he's now a much healthier, very typical 15-year-old. Even though it's been absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'll keep him. <laughs> a few months ago, Finn adopted Damien. Yeah. Teacher and student, now father and son. To be accepted. Feels like a dream come true. Proof that sometimes fairy tales do end happily ever after. Steve Hartman, CBS News, on the road. That's the story of Genesis chapter 3. Here's the story that the Bible is trying to, to tell us, is that we are sick and dying. We, each and every one of us, are broken and fractured. We are in desperate need of a transformation of a transplant of sorts. Not a kidney transplant like Damien, but a heart transplant. The prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, God says to us, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God says, I will do these things. I am the one who will give you the heart transplant. I am the one who will bring that transformation into your life because he is the only one who can. God has promised us that he would do this for us. And Jesus came to transform us. And through God's son, Jesus, we get to have this heart transplant. We get to experience this transformation, and we then are adopted into God's family where he will take care of us forever. And that actually is not the best part. I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe, but that's not the best part. Here's the best part. And that is that after we have experienced that transformation, after we have had that heart transplant, and now we have, our heart of stone has been taken out and our heart of flesh has been put in, after all that has happened, and as we are being transformed continually, day in and day out by Jesus Christ, and as we are adopted into his family and now destined to live for him, with him forever, as all that is happening, here is the best part. Here is the very best part. We now get to go out into the world and share that transformation with others. 
We get to be the conduits of God's love and his grace and his transforming power to everyone that we meet. This is how we are transformed from average, normal, everyday people into absolute supernatural superheroes for God. And in that transformation now, we get to go out and help God save the world. The stakes are high. And a relatively small group of people get to be a part of God's solution for Genesis chapter three. And I get to do it with you and you get to do it with me. And to me, that is the greatest feeling in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, your love and your mercy. We thank you for coming into our lives and changing us and transforming us in a way that no one else can. It's unbelievable, inexplicable, it's, it's something that, that is even difficult to describe in words. But what you give us, Father, we know is the greatest thing in all of human history. The greatest gift in all the world. And we thank you for, us, for it. And we pray now that you would help us to be those people who go out as transformed by you. Who go out and share that transformation with everyone we meet. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.